And at Sun Valley Church, we have, I believe, a good representation of those who have been raised in a solid Christian environment and others who have come to Christ out of a godless, dark, and worldly environment. We have all kinds across the spectrum here. Um, and although this stanza, if you'll remember what was just read to you, uh, begins by identifying, identifying a young man and how he can keep his way pure, this stanza actually speaks to all of us, regardless of our age, our upbringing, our current spiritual condition even. This word is for, for you today. No matter what your condition, even if you don't know Christ, this stanza is for you. Which is one of the beauties of Psalm 119. It stretches across all demographics and, and penetrates the heart to the deepest level. In the weeks to come, when we begin to unpack this stanza, I'll address the importance of seeking God and seeking purity as a young man or young woman. But for now, I think we can be confident that God isn't just interested in the purity of young men. So if you're sitting here looking at verse 9 saying, oh, this isn't for me, I'm not a young man. Uh, well, I want you to realize that there is a special focus on young men here, but I don't think we have to be Bible scholars to understand that holiness and purity is expected of all of God's people, regardless of age. So to confirm this to your mind, listen to Paul. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. Who's he talking to? Young men? Yes, and everybody else. <laughs> and then he tells Timothy, keep yourself pure. Really simple. Timothy, keep yourself pure. Friends, this, this is the expectation of all of God's people, is purity. It's not just for the young man. It's not just for the pastor or the missionary. It's for all of God's people, this idea of purity. So this, this, is this whole stanza is focused on the pursuit of holiness in the life of the believer. If you think back to the first stanza, the first eight verses, do you remember what that stanza was about? It was about the pursuit of happiness. Now we're moving beyond that discussion and into the pursuit of holiness. So the first eight verses, the pursuit of happiness and how that's related to the word of God in your life and how that can only happen if you intake the word of God. Now we're talking about the pursuit of holiness. Happiness and holiness, the two main pursuits of the Christian all right, so this, this really is about this stanza that we're in now, the bait stanza is walking the path of holiness. It's a path that isn't reserved just for the exceptional Christian, as you might have thought from time to time. Well, I'm just not that great of a Christian. No, there aren't different paths for Christians to choose from. So when you came to Christ, uh, this did not happen. The Holy Spirit didn't come to you and say, okay, listen, now that you're in Christ, we've got to decide which path you're going to take. Uh, you can choose the nominal Christian path. That's the easiest one. That's like you can choose to get a C. You know, a C gets a degree. A C gets you to heaven. You can choose that nominal Christian path and just kind of, you know, blindly stumble your way through life and we'll see you on the other side. Nothing spectacular is going to happen to your spiritual life. Just, just get there, man. All right. You can take that path, or you can take the second path. It's the lukewarm Christian path. You'll have highs in the Christian life, but more lows, but you'll have some highs. You can take that path. 
Then there's this tough path. I wouldn't recommend it. This is, this is the toughest path, and it's called the pursuit of holiness, the path of holiness. There, there's that path also. That didn't happen to us, did it? When we came to Christ, we came to him as Savior and Lord, right? You, you can't separate those two things in Scripture or in the Christian life. Many have tried, but it's not possible. Friends, we have, we have one path before us, one calling. This is what Paul told Timothy in his second letter to his friend. He said this, Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to what? A holy calling. He didn't just say called young men or calling missionaries or seminary professors. He says everyone is called to a holy calling. Everyone. My point is, there's one path. You remember what Jesus said about this? He said, my sheep hear my voice, and what do they do? They follow me. They don't follow another master. If you're one of Jesus' sheep, you follow Jesus' voice, and he's not offering options. We follow one master. So we, we basically know the general theme of Psalm 119, right? It's the word of God. Every verse speaks of the word of God except three, maybe four. The theme is obvious in Psalm 119. The second stanza's theme is holiness. And so I want to I give you a summary statement of this second stanza. You may want to write this down. It's not in your outline. And it may help you remember this stanza as we work our way through it. In order to be holy, we must learn God's word and live by it. And you were hoping for something profound, right? In order to be holy, you must learn God's word and live by it. This is what the stanza is about. Let's, let's dig into this, all right? You ready? Pencil in hand. Bible open, eyes on the text. Verse 9 tells us when we should begin this pursuit of holiness. Can you guess what the world's answer would be to this question? When should we begin to focus on holiness? What would the world would say? They'd say this, listen closely, never. Why would you want to focus on holiness if you can do anything else? I mean, what? you should live for the gusto, right? Live for number one. Look out for you. No one else is going to do that. Well, when you can't do anything else, I guess then you can go be religious. Isn't that kind of the world's mentality? But verse 9 makes it clear that we must focus on holiness in our youth. But here lies a problem for over half of you. You're not youth. You're past youth. What if this is being read by a person in their 40s, 50s, 60s, or maybe even 70s, if you can still see, right? Right? <laughs> what then? What if, friends, your youth ship has sailed? Where does this instruction leave you? It leaves you right where you are, I would suggest. 
You may not be young, as verse 9 is identifying, but today is young, right? It's not even 9 o'clock. Today's young. This week is young. It just started. You have six and a half days left of this week. You've heard it said this is the first day of the rest of your life. Every person in this room has the rest of their life to live and no more. In fact, in fact, let me say this. The youngest in you here have no guarantee that you'll outlive the oldest in here. Friends, we can look at this many different ways. Today is young. This week is young. Your life just began today, if you want to consider the rest of it. So, friends, I guess what we can say is there's no time like now to get started on the path to holiness. It's never a good idea to say, I can't get started on the path to holiness because I'm too old. That makes no sense. And you'll see why that makes no sense as we work our way through this. But if we're going to focus on holiness, the first thing we must focus on is on the Word. If you're filling in your blanks. If anyone desires to be holy, and I'm assuming if you're a Christian, whether you believe it or not, you would say, my desire is to be holy, right? This is a calling. <laughs> You're called to be holy. It's a holy calling. Um, You're called to be transformed into the image of Christ. It's, it's a holy thing we're called to. And so you would say, sure, yeah, I want to be holy. And if, you, if you're willing to say that, then I'm willing to respond, then you must be in the word. <laughs> There's no holiness without this focus. This focus is required because it's God's word we're talking about, and it's his word for his people. It's in the word that we discover what purity and holiness actually are. It's in the word where we find God's requirements for his people. It's in the word that God actually begins to transform his people with his truth. Remember what Jesus said about this in John 17? He goes, let's sanctify them or change them into Christ-likeness with the truth. Your word is truth. Those are Jesus' words. So God uses his words, and they are really a reflection of himself, that is his word. He uses this reflection of himself, this revelation of himself, to transform his people, to make someone who doesn't look like Jesus to begin to look like Jesus. Someone who who begins to think like Jesus and act like Jesus. God uses his word to do that in your heart. And there is a mystical reality to it, but there's also a very practical reality to it. And that's the road I want to go down at this point. Um, so he uses his word to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. And I have been, what I'm about to suggest to you, wondering how come it's taking so long? Why is it taking so long for me to become like Jesus? What's up with the transformation process? Has there been a disconnect somewhere along the way? How come I feel and look and act the same way I did a year ago or five years ago, maybe 10 years ago? Why is it that sometimes we feel that we sense no spiritual progress in our life? Hopefully you're considering that at least a little. But why is it? Let me answer that question by asking you another one. How much time are you spending in the Word? 
I want you to consider the possibility that your transformation is exactly on pace with your intake of the Word of God. And not different than that. So if you see no progress, there's a high likelihood you're not in the Word. Let me, let me ask you to consider the following. If you had a fatal disease, but were told by your doctor if you would do certain exercises, you would survive it. Not death, the disease. You would survive it. You would, you would, you would beat it. But you had to faithfully, daily, do these exercises. What are the chances you would do those exercises? Would you, would you do those stretches? Well, first thing out of bed, you would do those stretches, wouldn't you? And then at noon, you'd find a place at work to do those stretches. And then when you got home, you would figure out a way, a time, and a place to do those stretches so that you wouldn't die from your fatal disease. It's the same way with growing in godliness. The Word of God has promised holiness progress in the faith, growth in Christ-likeness to those who will take in the word of God. Friends, you have a fatal spiritual disease. And unless you do the spiritual stretches that we discover in God's word, you will succumb to that disease. As John Owen said, you'd better be killing sin or it will kill you. This is what this stanza is all about. The, the author in the first eight verses says, you want to be happy? This is the route to it. Now he's saying, guess what? You want to be holy? This is the route to it. I want to share with you, the author is saying, how to be happy and holy. And you didn't think those two things were possible together, did you? Well, they are. And they're expected of God's people. Um, Wholeheartedness that you see a few times used, that phrase, wholeheartedness or wholehearted, you see it used uh, from time to time throughout this stanza. You, you, you see the idea of purity, is, which is where I'm getting the idea of holiness from, used in this stanza. Uh, it, it comes by way of the word of God. The interesting thing here that I want to help you understand why this particular stanza is what it is, is that the word, the Hebrew word bait, which is the, actually a, a letter in the alphabet, is a word in itself that means a house. The word bait in Hebrew is a house. And the commentator Herbert Locklear in his devotional commentary on the Psalms notes this, that the underlying thought of this stanza is making our heart a home for God's word. The title of this stanza is home. Home for what? The word of God. If you will but make your heart a place for the word of God, you will experience dynamic spiritual growth. You will proceed in holiness. If you do not do that, it will not happen. It's that simple. It's not profound. Maybe it is. I don't know. We must focus on the word if we're going to be holy people. Secondly, we must focus on God. And this almost doesn't need to be said, but I'm going to say it anyways. 
Look at verses 10 and 12. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandment. Do you see that as a prayer, a petition, a plea? That's what it is. Let me not wander from your commandments. Look at verse 12. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. This author is pleading with God to make it so for him. He's relying on God. He needs God. He depends on him to make this happen in his life. He needs God, just like you do. You, don't, you not only need God's word, you need God. The word wander in verse 10 is a passive verb, which means that we will immediately relapse into sin the instant God releases his grip on us. You've heard that Jesus sustains the universe by the power of his word. Guess what? You're a participant in this universe. If, in order to stay holy, to pursue Christ-likeness, Jesus Christ himself must sustain your spiritual life. He holds you in the palm of his hand. If he were to release his grip on you, you would fall utterly into sin. Why is it that your neighbor struggles with sin so much and you do not? Maybe you do, but not as much as them, hopefully. Why is it that there are so many people who just seemed unable to proceed on? Is it possible that you are held intentionally by God so that you will not fall? Remember what Jesus prayed for Peter? I have prayed that you would not fall. Yeah. Did Peter fall? Well, yes. Did he recover? Certainly. Why? Because Jesus had a hold on him. This is why we need God, friends. Do you think that you can become a holy person by your diligence? By your disciplined lifestyle? I'm just going to stick my nose to the grindstone and do it. Don't you think the author of this text was such a person? Friends, this author was disciplined. You can't help it. You can't write poetry without being disciplined. This man was a disciplined writer. He knew what it meant to get up early and study and exercise and do all the things he was supposed to do. And yet here in verse 10 and 12, he is pleading with God for help. He wasn't dependent on his own in intuition, his own ingenuity, his own drive. He was depending on God, which is what we must do. We must focus on God. And I'm sure that you recognize that any progress in Christ-likeness is a direct result of the sustaining power of the Holy Spirit and his presence within you. God must be actively at work in us, or there will be no consistency, no progress in your pursuit of holiness. This is what Jesus taught his disciples in John 15. By the way, one of the last things he taught him, usually one of the most important things you say to people you're leaving, listen closely now. You've got to remember this. Listen. I'm gonna, you have to remember this. This is John 15. And this is what he said in John 15. Abide in me and I in you. That means be with me. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You can't bear fruit. You can't grow in holiness unless you abide in Christ, unless you stay connected to him. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. 
So what's going to keep you from sin? What's going to help you choose between God's will and the, what the world is offering? What's going to help you grow in godliness? It's God. <laughs> you must regularly let him know how dependent you are on him by your prayers, by your pleas. Only the word of God, illumined by the Holy Spirit, will accomplish this. Do you know why we have a regular prayer of illumination at this church? Before it's read every Sunday, before it's preached every Sunday, we get up here and we say something to God in prayer like this. God, open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things in your law. We say things like this. God, please make the word clear to us. Why are we praying those things? Because if he doesn't do it, it doesn't happen. <laughs> Friends, there are millions of people who are exposed to the word of God on a daily basis who it never affects. Until the Holy Spirit penetrates your heart with the clarity of this word, you remain adrift. And so we depend on him to do his work in us. Well, let's look at the practice of this. How do we do this? How do we get the word of God into our soul, into our psyche, into our, the nitty-gritty of our experience, of our humanity? What I'm asking is, does the psalmist give us some practical advice for those of us who want more of Christ, who want more holiness? And, of course, the answer is yes in this very stanza. We don't have to chase it down all over Scripture. It's actually in this stanza. How you can get more of God and his word into your life. So the question is again, do you want to be holy? If your answer is yes, then pay attention for the next few minutes. The first thing I want to share with you is from verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So you store it up. What does that mean? Simply means to fill your mind with it. Memorize it. What's the best way to memorize the word of God? I suppose there's many different ways, maybe different, as many different ways as there are people. Uh, my Bible professor at Multnomah School of the Bible, uh, John Mitchell, said he never went out of his way to memorize scripture. But he had it memorized from cover to cover. In fact, this, I've told the story before, but for the sake of the point, uh, in my senior Bible class where Dr. Mitchell was teaching Acts through Philemon, uh, he, he was a banterer, by the way. He would love to banter with students. And we got into it one day, and he goes, okay, okay, just be quiet for a second. If you can read any verse from any text in scripture and I can't tell you chapter and verse I'll give you an A in the class and we spent the next hour doing this kind of thing and he said I think that's in I think that's in Hosea chapter 2 verse 5 or 6 maybe no it's 6 it's 6 and he would he had his Bible memorized by the view of it he could say, it's on the right-hand side, two-thirds of the way down the top is verse 7, so it's got to be, that's verse 14. 
Every single verse. And he said, he never set out to memorize the Bible. You know how he did it? He read it all the time. He was constantly stretching in a spiritual sense. And by the way, he was 92 when he told us this story. Teaching full time. And I had a hard time keeping up in class. He was teaching it. And I think I was 20 at the time. Others of us require actually a memorization regimen, right? We may not have the photographic memory. Uh, we may not have any special gifts in this department, which is why they have apps. Apps are for the rest of us. And so you can get a Bible app, and I've done a little research on this this past week, for anything, including memorization. You can actually get a Bible app that will help you memorize the Word of God very quickly, if you'll use it. I mean, you can learn a language for Pete's sake in three months with Duolingo, the app. They say I'm fluent in Mandarin, but I'm not. But they have Bible apps for Bible memorization. And you can get really good at what you remember in Scripture by simply using an app. <clears throat> so why do we store it up? Okay, the importance of storing up is, is the thing here, is what we're after. Are we storing it up so that we can tell people that we've done so? Did you know that I have the entire chapter of John 3 memorized? Is that why you memorize John 3? So you get the opportunity to say that to your neighbor or to the person in your small group? If so, you're missing the point of John 3. <laughs> no, we don't memorize the Bible so that we can demonstrate our mental prowess. We memorize the Bible so that it can penetrate our heart. That's the point of this stanza. Friends, you need to know, if you don't already, that we are in a daily battle with sin. Daily. Whether you recognize it or not, the war is raging. Don't be a spiritual Mr. Magoo. There is spiritual strength for this battle we are in, in the text. The Spirit of God here is available to us in the text. Paul said that the Word of God is like the sword of the Spirit. If you were in a battle in Paul's day without a sword, you were dead. All right? It'd be like going into a battle in our day with a slingshot. You would be dead. So we don't pick up slingshots. We pick up M16s. This is the word of God. This is the sword of the spirit. You want victory in your battle with sin? You'd better pick up the sword. <laughs> if you don't, you'll get beat badly. And some of you are so accustomed to getting beat, you don't care anymore. And that's not a healthy place for the believer. Friends, put on the whole armor of God, Paul said to the Ephesian church. And the first thing he mentioned was 
the sword of the Spirit. So we must store it up. I'm going to get some uh, audience participation at this point, and we're going to say store up together after I count to three. Store up, all right? Store up on three. One, two, three. Store up. Perfect. Let's go on to the next one. Look at verse 13. 13 says, with my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. One of the best ways to cement something into your mind is to speak it out loud. Have you ever noticed this? If you have learned something, when you have to speak it or share it, no matter what you've learned, it cements it in your brain. You begin to understand it better. If you have learned something in your Bible study or in your reading, it'll go a long way for you to share that with somebody else. Speak it with your lips. Dawson Trotman, who was the founder of the Navigator, said this, thoughts disentangle themselves when they pass through the lips and fingertips. Thoughts disentangle themselves when they pass through your lips, when they come out of your mouth and out of your pen. Good argument for journaling. You want to understand the Word of God more? Write down your thoughts about it. You want, you want to be able to remember the Word of God? Speak it to those in your circle of influence. Maybe it's your children, maybe it's your Sunday school class, maybe it's your small group, maybe it's your friend over coffee. Speak the Word. Friends, we must speak the Word. The Word of God should be regularly the point of conversation for all of us who are pursuing holiness. If we never sp speak of God's Word, are we pursuing holiness? If all we ever speak about are the Seahawks and the Mariners and the stock market, what are we pursuing? Sports, money, or God? Friends, we must speak the Word to one another. These are the words of life. Do you, re do you recall in, in John 6, when Jesus asked his remaining 12 disciples, are you going to go away too? And they said, to whom are we going to go? You have the words of life. And you know what those words are? They're recorded right here. Every word that Jesus spoke that was important is here. These are the words of life. These are what make you holy. These are what strengthen you for the battle. This is one of the legacies that you can leave your children. Make the Bible the topic of regular conversation with your children, with your spouse, with your girlfriend, with your whatever. And you say, well, that's a little awkward. Well, if you never do anything, it's always awkward. Start doing it, and it becomes less awkward. Friends, sharing and speaking, letting the words of God pass over your lips to your family will bring great joy and encouragement and actually has the power to eternally alter their destiny. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 107, verses 1 and 2. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. We should be able to talk for a while about that, shouldn't we? Okay, listen to the next verse. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You think that's a coincidence that he follows up verse 1 with verse 2? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. This is a command. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So I'm going to let you be obedient for a second. 
All right, I want you to, in popcorn style, tell me why the Lord is good. Let's get obedient here. Say it again. Faithful. Forgiving. Keep going. Okay, we can talk like this all day, especially if I let you say more than one word about it. That's the point. Speak it out. Share it. We gather here, friends, every week to give you the opportunity to say so. We, we recite, we pray, we sing. We, we must engage our hearts and minds enthusiastically and participate in all the aspects of our worship service because when we speak, then it penetrates more than just when we hear. And so we need to store up and speak out. Let's say that together. Store up and speak out on three. One, two, three. Store up, speak out. Very good. Let's go to the third one. Delight in. Look at verses 14 and 16. 14 says, In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. Look at verse 16. I delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Friends, in the same way that you might get excited about winning a lottery or getting a large inheritance, the godly person delights in God's word. The same way, he uses that illustration, as in all riches. The same way that you may look forward to a vacation is the same way that we should look forward to opening the word of God. This was David's attitude. Look at what David said in Psalm 19. More to be desired are they, what are they? The word of God, the words of God. They're more, desired, more desirable than gold, than much fine gold, and they're, and they're sweeter than the sweetest thing there is, and that's honey in the honeycomb. That was David's heart for the word of God. The psalmist not only delights in the word of God itself, but look in verse 14, he says, I delight in the way that the word of God takes me. You see that? The way of your testimonies, not just the testimonies, but the way that your testimonies take me, the path that, that your word lays out, I delight in that path. Oh, that's a good path. That, that is really important to see here. It's the everlasting way that David speaks of in Psalm 139. There, there is so much to delight in and be thankful for in the word of God. The way that God's word reveals is fullness of joy. It is the way, the path that God puts us on because of his word. Yesterday, a few of us gathered here uh, to celebrate Marlon and Judy Workman's 50th anniversary. And uh, I was speaking to Marlon after the celebration, and he said this. He said, you know, all of this is possible because of the way that God has laid out our lives. That's the way of God's word. God's word establishes a path that is a good path, even with hardships included. It's a good path. You know, these, these, these people who give their lives for the gospel, the martyrs, you know, not one of them, if they could come back, would say, I'd never do that again. Every one of them would say, it's a good path. Everyone. 
Hudson Taylor was uh, notorious for his sacrifices. And he was asked about them at one point by a pastor. He says, how is it that you've handled all these sacrifices in your life for the cause of the gospel in Christ? And his answer was amazing. He said, what sacrifices? <laughs> what sacrifices? What a way that God has laid out for his people in his word. Are you on that way? It's a way that's laid out in the scriptures. Are you walking in it? And the world tries to convince us that your opinions about how you ought to live your life are, are better. Where does that get you? When are we going to learn that our ways are so much less than God's ways? He delights in the word and the way that the word established. Let me, let me ask you a heart check question. When you come here to worship, does your, participa your participation fall into the category of delight? In the way of your testimonies, I delight. I would delight in your statutes. Is this a delight to you or is this a burden to you? It's a fair question. When you delight in a sporting event or a TV program, your delight is obvious, isn't it? You can hardly contain your delight at times. Shouldn't it be the case when our delight is in the infinitely delightful? Amen. Amen. So we need to delight in. You want to be holy? Then delight in the word of God. So I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. Store up, speak out, delight in. Store up, speak out, delight in on three. Store up, delete, delight in. Delete out, right. <clears throat> Let me try that again for my purposes. Store up, speak out, delight in on three. One, two, three. Store up, speak out, delight in. And of course, one way we delight in the word of God is found in verse 15. What does it say? Meditate. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. The author mentions here a rare practice in any century, especially ours, meditating on God's word. I would suggest that the reason we have a lack of holy people is because we have a lack of people willing to meditate on God's word. You remember this book we studied a while back called Hebrews? In chapter 3, verse 1, it says, consider Jesus. He says, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of your confession. And then fast forward to chapter 12, he said, fix your eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith. You know what the author, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying? Meditate on Jesus. Consider Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. Meditate on Jesus. Do we do that? Everybody meditates. You may say, well, I don't know how to meditate. Well, you do it all the time. Let me show you. It isn't really a question if you meditate. It's what you meditate on, right? Are you meditating on the things of God or the things of this world? By default, because of our flesh, we meditate on worldly things, <clears throat> have a struggle many times, keeping our eyes on things above instead of things on earth. Um, but 
we meditate so often on the problems we face or the offenses that we've endured or, or even worry about you know, what's going to happen tomorrow or how we're going to make more money or complete our home projects or getting ready for our next vacation. We have so many things that, are, that occupy our mind that we, we're just consumed by it. And I, th I think you might be surprised to discover that much of your day is meditating on something. Edmund Calamy said this, there is a meditation that is sinful and wicked, and that is when we meditate upon things that are wicked. There, are, there is a meditation that is holy and godly, and that's when we meditate on things that are holy and heavenly. So what are you going to choose? Are you going to worry yourself sick about something in the future that's never going to happen? Or are you going to spend that time thinking about Christ and his goodness to you and his work in your life and how you can share that with others? So the scary, the scary thing here is that what we meditate on exposes our character and our values. What you think about throughout the day really is an expose on who you are. Thomas Watson said this, meditation manifests what a man really is. And what is his point? You are what you think. That's his point. This is the point of the, of the teacher in Proverbs 23. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. So do you spend your time thinking about how to make money? If so, then, God's your, then, then your money is God. Do you spend your time worrying about the future? Then you're captive to anxiety. Do you spend your time thinking about Jesus and his word, thinking about his person and work and ways that you can share him and live for him? Uh, then, then you're a growing Christian. You're in your pursuit of holiness. You are what you think. The, the, the psalmist who wrote 119, verse 97, says this, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. How do you do that? You know, some of us actually have to think at work. How is it that we're supposed to meditate on his law throughout the day? Well, there's different strategies. We've talked about these things. I would recommend you go back to our short sermon series that was about the time we were in Hebrews 4 on methods of meditation. And it's on our website, I believe. And it was, I think, about three or four uh, sermon series. And I talk about how to do that. How do you actually keep your mind on Christ and, and his word throughout the day when you have other responsibilities that you have to perform? There is method. And it honors God. And if you'll come back in a week or two, I'll share that with you. But remember our summary statement? In order to be holy, we must learn God's word and live by it. How are you going to learn God's word? We're going to store it up, speak it out, delight in, and meditate on it. Store up, speak out, delight in, meditate on on three, one, two, three. Store up, speak out, delight in, meditate on. That's how you do it. 
Friends, our, our rest our, is, is found in God. And God is found in his word. Do you want to be holy? Do you want to be at rest? Then you must be in the word of God. Let's pray. God, you are good to us. Your steadfast love does endure forever. Your steadfast love is revealed to us in your word. I would ask, Father, as a pastor for your people here, that you would sustain each and every one in this room as they pursue holiness, as they work to make the word of God integral part of their life, that they would, that they would see you, Father, uh, in your word, that they would experience you in a real and significant way there. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to store up, speak out, delight in, and meditate on your holy word. Because it is there where we will see Jesus. And it is there where we'll see his glory. And his glory, when we come in contact with that, we are told that it changes us. And we want to be changed. We want to be holy people. And so, God, do your work in us. And I pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.